Larkin gets the handoff. He's going to walk in. Touchdown. What a start for the Wildcats. to work here though pressure coming by Nebraska Thorson caught by Nagel and Nagel with no one between him and the end zone scores Welcome, Wildcat fans, and anybody else who chooses to listen. Taking a break from a bowl full of chips, we've got our little Wildcast here. I am your host, Chappie. Without my friend Bip today, because we're going to focus solely on the Northwestern Wildcats and the success that they had in the 2018 season. I appreciate those of you who listened in for my review of Wildcat football in 2018, set to a little poetic prose, so hopefully that worked out well for you. I was very pleased to see the number of listeners who tuned into that. So those of you who are coming back, hopefully with a little excitement and passion for our Wildcats with the success that we had in 2018 leading into 2019, we're going to recap the offensive side today. So obviously Northwestern, pretty good season. They had nine wins, which included a bowl victory over Utah from the Pac-12 out in the Holiday Bowl in San Diego, California. San Diego, as Ron Burgundy would dub it. Wins against Purdue, against Michigan State, Nebraska, Rutgers, and Wisconsin consecutively when they strung four in a row. Then after a heartbreaking loss to Notre Dame at home in a very exciting, sold-out, packed atmosphere at Ryan Field, which I was fortunate enough to be a part of with my co-host Bip, the Wildcats went on the road and beat Iowa and Minnesota consecutively, then came back home and defeated the Illini on Senior Day before going to Indianapolis, 
a week later and losing at the hands of the sixth-ranked Ohio State Buckeyes. But all in all, as Coach Fitzgerald would point out and as Wildcat supporters would point out, this was a successful season, not only because they won the Big Ten West and because they went to the Big Ten Championship and ended the season with a bowl victory, but it was a success because after four games, things were looking pretty bleak, and they were looking bleak primarily because of what was happening on the offensive side of the ball, or maybe more appropriately, what wasn't happening on the offensive side of the ball. So on this short little wildcast, we're going to go through and break down and give grades to each of the position groups on offense, the quarterbacks, the running backs, the wide receivers and superbacks, and of course the offensive line. And keep in mind that these are honest and objective opinions from yours truly, trying to remain fair and balanced without showing too much bias, without showing too much favoritism. Um, Because as a former coach myself, the only way to get better and the only way to come to grips with how you can get to that level of success that you hope to attain is to see the things that need to be fixed. And any and all input is typically uh, guarded. And as most of you know me by now, I'm not one who's going to sit here and complain and throw darts and make accusations at players. Number one, first and foremost, I respect the hell out of all these players, and I respect the heck out of the coaching staff for doing what they do, grinding and putting in the work day in and day out. And I think that gets lost sometimes with the national media and even with the local media sometimes in and around Evanston. So job well done by the Wildcats, but let's take a closer look at what happened in 2018 offensively. So starting with the quarterbacks. Obviously, Clayton Thorson, a four-year starter at the helm behind center, he not only ended up with the most wins in program history, but he also had the most passing yards in Wildcat lore. He also threw for more touchdowns than any other man in purple. Um, He set a number of records for attempted passes, so Clayton Thorson's arm was highly looked upon for Mick McCall and his offense this year. Offensively speaking, uh, Clayton Thorson had some highs and he had some lows. The good thing was he made all Big Ten honorable mention as a quarterback. While he went eighth in efficiency in the conference with a 120.9 QBR, or quarterback rating, he completed 61 of his passes, which is good for fifth in the conference. And even higher than that, he finished third in total yards thrown, which was 3,183. A little bit unsettling was his touchdown to interception ratio where he finished 17 touchdowns compared to 15 interceptions Um, but he did set the or he was second in the Big Ten second in the conference with 490 passing attempts which um, that was second like I said in the Big Ten conference so he was certainly chucking the ball around and throwing it a lot more than maybe we've seen him do in in previous years Um, you know Everybody looks to a quarterback to be the leader, to be the catalyst on that offense, and Clayton certainly was that. So if we can move away from some of the negatives being that, uh, you know, obviously the knee injury was a little bit limiting, and that may have attributed to some of the sack numbers that we saw, but we'll get back to that with the offensive line notes in just a moment. Uh, Clayton was purposely told to, to take things easy and to not put himself in harm's way not just for the team's sake, but for personal reasons and for his own sake as well as we're looking into his future. This was a guy who many pegged was a, an NFL draft pick potential last year, 
made a lot of Wildcat fans happy when he decided to come back for his senior season, and he decided this before last year's bowl game. Uh, and probably a good decision that he made that beforehand because who knows what the decision may have been had he hurt his knee before he made that decision. Would he have gone? Chances are probably not as he had to rehab that uh, knee, and it wouldn't have been wise to, to put himself in the draft at that point anyway. So I guess that's a moot point. But nonetheless, it was certainly pleasing to see our returning four-year starter, our captain, back there at quarterback. So what was the good for Clayton? Well, um, he took control when Northwestern needed him. When they were 1-3, and three, again, you need your senior quarterback, you need your leaders to step up and to start making plays when nobody else will. So after that very disappointing loss to Akron, and then following that up with a close but no cigar against 14th-ranked Michigan, the Wildcats were sitting 1-3, and three, losing three consecutive games all at home, mind you. And there were some Fairweathers who were a little bit bleak and a little bit too critical on Clayton Thorson and the offensive game plan and the, the coaching staff in general. But Thorson came and he bounced back in the next couple weeks, especially against number 20 Michigan State and Nebraska. On the road in East Lansing, Clayton uh, helped the team to victory, throwing for 373 yards in a 29-19 victory over the green and white from East Lansing. And he did that really with almost literally no run game. Northwestern's leading rusher in that contest against the Spartans was Drake Anderson, who finished with 12 yards. So Clayton almost literally had to put the game on his right arm, and he delivered, connecting with some younger guys, which was very good to see. Kyrick McGowan, J.J. Jefferson really stepped up in that game, and then he also got help from uh, upperclassman Cameron Green at his superback position. Clayton proved to be pretty accurate, again, completing 61% of your passes. While that number and the mean in college football has gone up for that, 61% of your throws on target and being hauled in by your receivers is pretty good. Um, he certainly was adept at the quarterback sneak. I think that was something that he perfected this year, evidenced by his nine touchdowns on the ground. I think seven of them came with short yardage where he – burled behind that heavy offense with Trey Clock and James Prather and Charlie Mangieri who came in to add bulk to that backfield and kind of just dozed their way into that defensive line and linebacking crew to get Clayton to the plane and, and cross it for six. Uh, the other thing that you could say that was very good about Clayton Thorson year, this year was he's resilient. Things didn't seem to rattle him, and they really never did, and that's the true mark of a solid quarterback. That's the true mark of a leader, and I think that speaks to the character that Clayton has. Being a Christian man, being somebody who is has been raised by, by great parents and a great family, and his extended family here in Evanston when he was taken in by Coach Fitzgerald and Coach McCall and working with some of his mentors, uh, specifically guys like Steve Schnurr and Danny Persia, he, he learned the value of keeping composure even when things seem bleak. So when Northwestern got to that 1-3 and three mark, they turned to Clayton, and Clayton really elevated his game, as evidenced again by the Michigan State performance. And then even the following week against Nebraska at home, when they were down by 20 points and Thorson helped lead a comeback, he ended up throwing for 455 yards in that game. But most impressive was that final minute drive, 99 yards, which ended in a game-tying touchdown, put the game into overtime where hero Charlie Kubander, uh, or I'm sorry, not Charlie, um, 
Drew Luckenbaugh hit the game-winning field goal against the Huskers and leveled the Wildcats' record to 3-3 three and three overall, but more importantly, 3-1 and one in the Big Ten. So overall this year, I'm going to give Clayton Thorson a C-plus as a quarterback average. Trent Green also played, or I'm sorry, not Trent, TJ Green, my apologies, got in and was a serviceable backup, especially in that first week against Purdue when Clayton Thorson was on that quote-unquote pitch count that was established by the coaching staff. He completed 57% of his passes this year, didn't throw any touchdowns, threw one pick, but it was an aggressive error that was made, and it wasn't something that was a bad throw. He really tried to squeeze something into a tight window, and uh, the defender made a great play on it. He did end up tossing for 169 yards this year, but more importantly, he got that experience, and I think it was evidence, too, of how well this coaching staff prepares their guys. If you watch T.J. Green, he didn't seem flappable or he didn't falter at all in in the uh, performances that he was on the field this year, and it was more than just mop-up time. There were some considerable minutes that he played, especially early on. So overall, the quarterback's a C-plus this year for the Wildcats. Not great, but certainly... Uh, did the job and, and, like we mentioned, got him to nine wins on the year. Moving to the running backs. This was something that was very scary and very, you know, they kind of went on a roller coaster. They started off high, and then they got really, really low, and then things started to rise and trend back upward again. And I think it's safe to say that ending 2018, the outlook and the future is bright in that northwestern backfield as long as those trends can continue and as long as guys can stay healthy. And healthy is the operative word. So Jeremy Larkin started off with a bang with 143 rushing yards against Purdue in the opener and the national spotlight against uh, the Boilermakers on ESPN, a game that the Wildcats won 31-27, to but really they had an even deeper command of that contest in the first half. Larkin came back for 121 the next week against Duke and then 82 yards against Akron but started to feel some pain, noticed that things were not going right, and we learned prior to the September 29th game against Michigan, the Big Ten home opener, Jeremy Larkin was forced to retire due to cervical stenosis diagnosis where essentially if he took any damaging hit to his spine, he could have risked major injury and potential uh, inconvenience and possible paralysis within his life. So he made the, the what seemed like the tough decision to retire from football, but you could tell that staying within the program and being an assistant coach and being a part of that staff that helped cultivate this team to get back on track and reel off um, seven wins in their final eight regular season games was pretty remarkable. But that being said, when Larkin went down, the rushing totals also went down for the Wildcats. Against Michigan, Michigan State, and Nebraska, Northwestern's leading rushers ran for 36, 12, and 23 yards individually. That certainly is not going to cut it. Anytime you're under 100, things are looking bleak. But anytime you're under 40, things almost look panic-like. I mean, those are Washington State-type numbers in the run game. And I think that also speaks at how well Clayton Thorson did as their leader and how effective he was manning that quarterback position. So the running backs this year, after the Larkin fiasco, Isaiah Bowser emerged as the guy who took control of that offense in the backfield. And when he came into the Rutgers game, when they had tried John Moten, they had tried Drake Anderson, 
Bowser kind of was given his shot. And going into that Rutgers game, he had only carried the ball twice. But after that game, Bowser was the leading rusher. He rushed for 108 yards against the Scarlet Knights out in Piscataway. On the season, Bowser averaged 78.7 yards per game, 4.4 yards per carry, toting the ball across the end zone line for six touchdowns. He had a long run of 55 yards. Most importantly, though, zero fumbles. Uh, by the way, Larkin's three-game total was 115 yards per game, five touchdowns, and he averaged 4.8 yards per carry. So, again, in those three contests, Lark certainly made his mark and, and was productive for the purple and white. Behind Bowser, there was John Moten, who unfortunately was unable to get going really until the last regular season game. And, and I say regular season game, I, I'm talking about the Big Ten Championship. Um, Moten averaged only 22.6 yards per game. However, when he touched the ball, he had an average of 4.4 yards per carry, which tied him for highest on the team, aside from Bowser. He carried the ball across the end zone for three touchdowns. He had that long 77-yard scamper against Ohio State, which was really promising and really impressive to see because he outran that Buckeye defense. So Ohio State, known for recruiting top-flight athletes, especially on the receiving side on offense and the defensive back position on defense. I saw a stat recently that Ohio State has produced uh, either the top or the second most defensive backs in the NFL since 2010. So you know that this is a factory of uh, football production where they are giving you high-end defensive backs, guys who have top-flight speed. And to see John Moten, the star from St. Louis, Missouri, outrun that Buckeye defense was really promising to see and a sign of good things coming up when he's going to be a senior here in 2019. Another important stat for John Moten, zero fumbles. So number 20 made the most of his carries this year, although at the beginning of the season there certainly was a lot higher hopes that his per-game average may have been higher. Uh, we saw glimpses of greatness in his freshman year. Two years ago as a sophomore, he kind of took a little bit of a step back couldn't really get a chance to get things going this year. But again, I think when we look at some of these numbers from the running backs, a big part of it was some of the struggles from the offensive line up front. There were certainly some interchangeable parts and some holes and some weaknesses on that offensive side of the ball up front with those grinders. And we'll get more to that in just a minute. But um, I think it's safe to say that these running backs were somewhat limited by the, the work in progress that was that offensive line. The other running back to highlight was Chad Hanaoka, the flying Hawaiian, who I think is many Wildcat fans' favorite. He averaged 13 yards per game, 5.5 yards per carry. Now, I didn't consider him to be the, the leading rusher in terms of yards per carry because he had a limited number of attempts, but when he had the ball put into his belly in handoff form, he certainly made the most of it, and he was definitely a spark plug that got that team going and, and energized that offense in the later part of the season. He didn't score any touchdowns, unfortunately, but number one, the guy who earned that prestigious jersey, had a long carry of 14 yards. Um, he was also known for being a great third down back on passing downs and had a surprising burst. I think that there were many defenders who were a little bit surprised to see how well this five foot nine Hawaiian was scooting and, and moving his feet. And if anybody's seen film on Chad, he was really a successful slot receiver out in Hawaii. 
Uh, did a good job running the ball as well on some jet sweeps and also taking handoffs in the backfield. But Chad was really a guy in high school who moved well in space and finally given the chance here in his senior year, he made the most of it. Um, so overall, I'm going to give the running backs a B-minus grade. Again, good things toward the end and really in that seven of eight Big Ten wins to, f- to finish out the regular season, this run game got a lot better. But you'd like to see more production out of your run game, especially as we go into next year when when new quarterback Hunter Johnson, assuming that he wins the role, he's going to need a back who's going to take some of the pressure off of his shoulders and allow Hunter to uh, have the space and the timing to sit back and pick apart opposing defenses. I know that he's kind of deemed a, a predetermined savior for this offense, but any good quarterback is going to need a, a good run game, uh, especially when you're not a, a Mike Leach air raid type offense where there is some balance. And, and I think it's safe to say that under Mick McCall the last few years, while Pat Fitzgerald says that this team wants to be a run first team, they certainly are right around the 60-40 pass run mark. And I know that those numbers may not be 100% accurate, but from the eye test and from seeing uh, where they seem to go and kind of what – dictates from the situation they do throw the ball and and chuck it around about 60 percent of the time but in that 40 percent that you're going to give it to your running back you want to make sure that you've got a guy who is going to be a tough runner between tackles but also have the burst to get around the end I think they've got that in Bowser in terms of the tough physical between the tackles runner but with John Moten you've got lightning to hit around the outside and it'll be interesting to see where the depth fills in in that running back room as we head into 2019. So running backs, pretty good job. B minus. I forgot to get to the good. So the the biggest thing that we can take away, and credit to new running back coach Lou Ianni, who this was his first year in Evanston or, or in his return. He came from Iowa State where they were very successful at hanging out of the football. This year, zero fumbles from his running backs. None. The only three fumble, only three fumbles from the Northwestern Wildcat offense this year. Clayton Thorson had a couple, and I think uh, one of their receivers had one as well. No sense in mentioning the name of, of who dropped it, but um, this this group did a great job and took a lot of pride in hanging out of that football. And most people will tell you, you win the turnover margin, you're going to put yourself in a chance to win a lot of games, and that's exactly what this Northwestern running back group did. Uh, the other good thing that you could point out about this Wildcat running back room is they got going in big games. So against some of the bigger opponents that they needed to win later in the year against the Big Ten, they they ran they outrushed Wisconsin running for 182 yards. Um, they also uh, ran over 150 against Iowa. Uh, Bowser himself ran for 165. Um, and in the Minnesota game, they kind of took a little bit of a step back, but they they scored three touchdowns running the ball on the ground. So while their game average or their game total rushing was not groundbreaking, it certainly was efficient when they got in the red zone because Bowser uh, had two scores and then Clayton Thorson had a great quarterback keep that really fooled everybody on the Minnesota defense and even the the broadcasters on ESPN to uh, to show him in the end zone when all was said and done. So they got going in, in the big games in the Big Ten. So good job, B-minus for the running backs this year. And we're going to take a quick break here to hear from a sponsor and we'll be right back. Glad to have you back. Thanks for joining me again. We're going to get now to the second half of our offensive report card. 
And we're going to go right to the wide receiver position, which was a fairly pleasant surprise this year. Not so much surprise. I, I think that's maybe a bad term, but the level of production that this group gave us this year was better than many quote-unquote experts had anticipated at the beginning of the year. And it all started with senior Flynn Nagel. So our wide receiver group this year, we knew it was going to be diverse, and the question was how consistent would they be? Well, at the halfway point, our top receiver was the Big Ten's top receiver. So Flynn Nagel ended the year with 68 catches for 55.71 yards per game, 11.4 yards per catch, he only scored two touchdowns, but those were two big touchdowns, one of them coming against um, the Nebraska Cornhuskers, that 61-yard catch-and-run where he made a defender miss and then took out two defenders en route to the end zone in a, in a really a big momentum swing play that I think turned the tide in the game for the Wildcats for that one. As most of us know, Flynn, an honorable mention All-Big Ten this year, a warrior, a guy who is wanting to go across the middle, a guy who's wanting to sacrifice his body to make the catch for his team, the ultimate bailout for a quarterback. And even though he wasn't necessarily the number one safety valve, his job was to run the crossing routes, and his job was to create that separation and really be the first guy who's anticipated in getting open in any of the, the route schemes and the route system that Coach McCall and that offense ran this year. Um Another honorable mention, all Big Ten, was their superback Cameron Green. Now, Green was the the bailout. He was the safety valve that Thorson liked to go to. And really, that's that's what his role is as a more athletic superback. He's not your typical Northwestern superback. We're used to seeing guys like uh, Danny Vitale and uh, Drake Dunsmore, who was a little bit on the, on the bigger side. Granted, Drake was a pretty darn good receiver, but... When, we're, when we think about superbacks, typically they are the hybrid fullback tight end position. Cam Green came over at, from a wide receiver, bulked up a little bit, and I think it's safe to say that there's still some work that needs to be done on his blocking skills, but certainly has turned himself into a very valuable receiver last year and then, of course, this past season in 2018 for the Wildcat offense. Cam was second on the squad with 57 catches for 34 yards per game, 8.4 yards per reception. He had four touchdowns, which was most among any receiver for the Wildcats this year, with a long of 22. And he had that big, really game-winning touchdown against the Spartans back in September in the turnaround for the Wildcats after that 1-3 and three skid. Behind him, Ben Skoranek. And I think Ben Skoranek, you could say, is the big play receiver that the Wildcats had this year. Benny had 45 catches for 40 yards per game. When he caught the ball, it was good for an average of 12.49 yards per reception. He had three touchdowns, and the most memorable one is one that's going to be playing back in Wildcat fans' minds and certainly in my head for the rest of eternity, and that was the all-out, haul-out, um, you know, full-extension catch on the frozen frigid turf of Kinnick Stadium and again just a true wildcat moment of I don't care what it's going to feel like when I land I don't care what sort of uh, temporary pain I'm going to cause to my body my team needs this my quarterback needs this Clayton put it in a position where only Benny could catch it and number 88 got parallel to the ground hauled it in and just made a fantastic haul in for 
the purple and white, which ended up being the, the game winner in that one. Um, and again, as I highlighted in our preseason previews, Benny is always good for some swagger, uh, certainly not afraid of any opponent. Uh, we maybe saw a little bit of a, uh, a misstep from Skaronic this year in terms of, you know, at times he looked like he was still a little bit hampered by some sort of injury. Of course, we don't exactly know what it is, and, and we really will never find out under Pat Fitzgerald, and that's probably a, a credit to him and, and keeping the privacy of his players. But um, nonetheless, Skaronic still hauled in 45 catches and made some big ones when when it came down to it, he still is a is a top flight 50-50 ball guy. So uh, whether it was Thorson this year or whether it's Hunter Johnson next season, we know that we've got a, a great threat on the outside with number 88. You put the ball up in his 6'4 frame over 200 pounds, he's going to go up, he's going to fight for it. And if he's not going to get it, he plays a great job of defender and, and preventing the defensive back from, from coming down from it. Moving on, we've got Rashad... Uh, or, I'm sorry, Ramad Chakio Bowman, who had 20 catches for 16.93 yards per game. But when he caught it, he averaged 11.8 yards per catch and probably had some of the more sports center highlight type catches, uh, maybe some of the more spectacular catches of all the Wildcat receivers this year, save for a couple by Skoranek and Nagel. Um, RCB didn't have any touchdowns, but he had a long reception of 52 yards. So he was a very valuable third down receiver and has really started to show that he's got some of the better hands on this wide receiver group. A lot of good things heading into next year that we see for RCB. Riley Lees really emerged at the end of the season, 22 catches in all, um, and he really had a, a mark for himself in that Holiday Bowl against Utah. Riley only caught for 15 yards per game, but 9.73 yards per catch, and he looks to be the replacement for Nagel in terms of kind of that diminutive but slippery, hard-to-cover, even harder-to-catch wide receiver that goes across the middle from Mick McCall's crossing offense. He did catch three touchdowns this year and had a long of 29 yards on a reception. So uh, another guy with good vision, good feet, and, and things look on the up for number 19. We have Kyrick McGowan, who finished with 16 receptions for 20 yards per game, 17.69 yards per catch. That was the biggest uh, yard per catch average on the team. And I put Bennett Skoranek as the big play guy number one over Kyrick because of the fact that Benny had more receptions and you knew that when a big play was needed downfield, Clayton was going to look toward number 88. But coming into next year, Number eight, Kyrick McGowan, is certainly going to be somebody who can stretch the safeties and can get behind a defense, and that was good to see. He was a little bit banged up at times this year, but when he was healthy, number eight certainly uh, was a match that many defenses didn't want to go against. He had two touchdowns and a long uh, this year of 77 yards, so a big play threat for the Wildcats going into the next year. And then finally, freshman J.J. Jefferson. So, J.J. had 10 catches for 15 yards per game, um, and he actually had a higher yard per catch average than McGowan, but again, because of his limited number of catches, um, I kind of put them neck and neck or at 1A and 1B in terms of total, but if you want to go and be a stat nerd, yeah, his numbers are higher. 18.1 uh, yards per catch, two touchdowns this year, a long of 68, and 
probably the most memorable was his long catch and run where he got caught from behind against Michigan and then also against Minnesota. So I know that his teammates and I know some fans kind of were giving him some ribbing about why couldn't you finish? How do you get caught from behind? I mean, the guy is flat out fast. And I think what we saw in both events is being a freshman, I think he was kind of looking back and, and lurking or looking to see who was lurking from the defensive side. J.J., my man, just take it and run. And I know you know that. I know your coach, Dennis Springer, tells you that. But we're going to see that in the coming years, that number 12 is going to catch it. He's going to go, and lightning won't be corked anymore. We're going to see those touchdown numbers increase. So overall, I give the wide receivers and superbacks the highest grade on that offense. They get a B this year. Um, There could have been better downfield threats, especially against the big boys. um, And more touchdowns would have been nice. But here are some positives and some good things that um, that the wide receivers brought. First of all, they were secure in their catches. There weren't too many drops, and if there were drops, it was really because of defensive pressure and not because of lack of concentration, which is something, unfortunately, that we've seen from wide receiver groups in Evanston in previous years. They got a lot of guys involved, and, and that's a credit to Clayton Thorson and his knowledge of this offense. There were five guys who had 20 receptions or better. There were six who had two recept- two touchdown catches or more, which I know two isn't a great number, but when you've got uh, two touchdowns, three touchdowns, four touchdowns, two, three, and two um, spread out among the wide receivers who caught passes this year, and then you add in what the running backs brought out of the backfield, that's pretty good diversity, and it makes it difficult for a defense to lock in on any one player. And so that's really in my opinion, what you want from your offense. I would take numbers like that over a group that has maybe some uh, some top heaviness or you have one or two guys that have, say, seven or eight touchdowns and then the next guy has four and then it kind of fizzles out where there's not a lot of involvement from everybody else. To have six players who caught two touchdown passes or more, I think that that's uh, something that's good to see in the future. And I think that... Um, there's there's definitely some goodness to what Dennis Springer is doing with this group and taking full advantage of the resources that they have in Evanston. Getting to the offensive line now, there is um, some work to do on the front, and I don't think that that's any secret. And, of course, again, this is not any shot against our offensive group. This is not any dig against the Wildcat grinders up front, but... If you look at the numbers, there were some struggles this year. Um, And trying not to get too down or too negative, but the rush offense was 14th in the Big Ten. The fourth down conversion rate was 13th in the Big Ten. And I throw that out there because I think the offensive line has something to do with that in terms of protection and in terms of, you know, a lot of times when the Wildcats were going for it on fourth down this year, it was, uh, you know, some run situations, and there were times that they were stopped. Um... 14th against sacks. They gave up 36 sacks this year, and that was really the the most devastating offensive stats. So averaging almost three sacks per game, that's going to put your offense in some difficult situations. Now, obviously, they won nine games, and they, got, they still got production from their quarterback, but you definitely want to make sure that the guys in the backfield are a little bit more protected. And also, you know, going back to those run numbers, um, the run game only averaged 3.1 yards per carry. Now, that, of course, includes the sack numbers from Clayton Thorson, but they only averaged 114 yards per game on the ground. That's just not really going to cut it. And 
that's certain, certainly something that needs to be improved by next year. Um, the good, though, they played their best in the bigger games. So against Iowa, against Wisconsin, against Minnesota, they only gave up a total of five sacks. And that's pretty darn good considering that Wisconsin has had one of the more pestering defenses in terms of sack numbers over the last couple of years. Even though they had their injuries this season, they still had some quality talent up front. And you know that Wisconsin's always going to have uh, size and athleticism in their front seven. Iowa had one of the top defenses in the nation. And so for the Hawkeyes to only get to Clayton Thorson twice, and one of them was a safety blitz from all Big Ten player Amani Hooker. Um, you you can or if you want to to chalk up to the offensive line, but you know that's that's kind of a, a blitz and a stunt game that uh, is very difficult for teams to pick up, especially when you've got a safety coming in. So all things considered, pretty good numbers in those bigger games from this front group. They were number one in penalties uh, committed. In turn, and what that what we mean by, what we mean by that is. They didn't commit any. They were, I mean, it was well documented that Northwestern was one of the most disciplined teams. They were the least penalized team in the NCAA this year. And that's really a a nod to your offensive line because where do most penalties occur? They occur in the trenches. And so a a bulk of a team's penalties are going to be false starts, holding, uh, hands to the face, uh, chop blocks, things like that. So there's more likelihood that there's going to be penalties committed in that front group, and it shows the discipline that Coach Cushing and his offensive guys had this year, led by seniors Tommy Doles and uh, J.B. Butler and Blake Hance, three guys who will be missed going into next year. Another good telling stat for the Wildcat offensive line is the team finished eighth in third down conversions this year at 38.7%. And again, if you're going to convert third down, you have to have good offensive line play, and that's exactly what they had in those key situations. So eighth, that puts them right around just below the uh, the par for the Big Ten. So I'm going to chalk that up to something good. They were ninth in red zone offense, converting 40 of 47 um, scoring possessions for 85.1%. But more impressively, they scored 30 touchdowns. So their uh, touchdown conversion rate They were 30 out of 40. So 40 times that they scored, 30 times they scored touchdowns. That's a 75% ratio for those of you who are mathematically declined out there. Uh, Pretty darn good numbers from that offensive line group. So uh, they did get an honorable mention all-conference, and that was Reggie Slater, their right tackle. That's good news coming into next year. But uh, all things considered, you have to look at the rush offensive numbers. You have to look at the sack numbers. And since they finished last in the Big Ten, I sadly and regrettably have to give this group a D-plus grade for this year um, because those are two telling stats. Now, again, as Coach Fitz would point out, stats are for losers, and the the most telling stat is what happens in the win-loss column. And they won eight Big Ten games this year, which is something that everybody is most proud of, and it buries some of those stats that um, maybe don't look as pretty on paper. So all in all, the offense, they uh, they finished with some lower numbers nationally, 106th in points per game at 24, 117th in rush offense, 111th in pass efficiency offense, and 120th in yards per play. Not very good numbers. They make your stomach turn a little bit. Um, they fumbled the ball three times this year, or they fumbled the ball and lost it three times. They threw 16 interceptions. But the most important number that we see was the Big Ten wins 
and that was eight. Eight wins was tied for the most in the Big Ten in terms of the regular season. Now, uh, Ohio State got their ninth victory over the Wildcats in the Big Ten Championship, so if you want to go from beginning to end, the Buckeyes take the claim for the most Big Ten wins, but Northwestern is right up there with eight. Um, so Ohio State, Northwestern, and then Michigan all had eight Big Ten victories this year. And that's something that at the beginning of the year, a lot of people didn't expect to see, uh, outside of Evanston anyway. And even as the season was going on, week by week, there were reporters, there were people who were counting this team out because of the lack of explosiveness on offense, because of the lack of production on offense. And again, hats off to Coach Fitz and the offensive staff for doing enough to get the job done and really in the grand scheme of things, in this great game of football, all you have to do is be the better team at the end of the at the end of four quarters. And it's not so much how pretty it is or uh, the lack of aesthetics for your offensive group. It's about do you make the most when the time comes. And I think we could say that Northwestern did a, a respectable job at that. We talked about the third down conversion numbers. We talked about the red zone offensive numbers. Clayton Thorson, again, showing true leadership when the team was down in that one and three rut making up for the lack of offensive production out of the backfield. And then once we got that run game going with Bowser and John Moten starting to peek his head at the end of the year, especially against Illinois, and then obviously in the Big Ten Championship against the Buckeyes, and then the explosion on offense in the Holiday Bowl under those wet conditions, I think it's it's turning the page with some sweetness as we head into 2019. And, of course, in a future Wildcast, I will preview our – 2019 prospects on offense. We'll look at the pre uh, proposed depth chart, the new guys who will be joining the fray to help out this offense, new position players. We're going to have a new quarterback. We're going to have uh, a new wide receiver emerge for Flynn Nagel. There's going to be three new guys on that offensive line, so a lot of good stuff to come. On our next Wildcast, I'm going to take a closer look at the defensive review. So how did our defense do in 2018? What were some of the high points? What were some of the things that needed to be improved upon? But all in all, again, remember Wildcat fans, we finished eight and four in the regular, or eight and five in the regular season, um, which included a loss in the Big Ten Championship. And I don't care win or lose, you make it to the dance, that's pretty damn good. And then a ninth win coming in the Holiday Bowl against Utah when almost everybody Sadly, yours truly also in that group thought that this Wildcat team didn't have quite enough to get over that hump, especially against the mighty Kyle Whittingham, who has won a greater percentage of bowl games than anybody else. But they did it, and they've got momentum going into 2019. And we're already seeing, and, and you can set your clock to it, that people are going to count them out for 2019 as well, especially this offense. And I'm going to point out to you later in, in a future Wildcast why there is hope, why there is reason to believe, and why we should expect production on offense and expect victory overall. I appreciate you joining me once again. This has been fun, and there's going to be certainly a lot more Wildcasts coming up. So stay purple, fight for victory, and go Cats! <laughs>